This is a CBC podcast. Guangzhou is a city in southern China. It sprawls along the shore of the Pearl River as it flows towards the South China Sea. Guangzhou is huge. It has one of the highest populations in China. And it was a hub of the Silk Road, though its history goes back way farther than that. It's here, in this busy port city in the 1920s, that a little girl named Gai Yin started singing Cantonese opera. I remember thinking it was, like, incredibly dramatic, like the drums and the music. It's like, um, yeah, it's like not a casual music that you listen to. This is Julia Hune Brown. Hi, I'm Julia. I'm a theater artist and teacher in Toronto. And Gai Yin was Julia's grandmother. This recording isn't her singing, but she would have sounded something like this. Did you like it? I, like, was intrigued by it, but also, like, it felt very unfamiliar. She was a force, and she always wore these sort of, um, like, leggings and these big baggy sweaters and um, running shoes, and she would sort of, like, march around Chinatown. Yeah, and she was really, like, confident. She had this, like, confidence the way she moved through the world, which, like, as a little kid, I really admired. This was decades later and leagues away from Guangzhou in Canada, where Julia was born and where her grandmother died a few years ago. I'm Macy Rowe. This is The Doc Project. Today's story, Guyin's life, the stuff of family lore. But it's also the story of an art form that was a shred of home for Chinese Canadians during a bleak time in Canada's history. Guyin wasn't just a singer. She was a trailblazer, a risk taker, and she changed her family's destiny, possibly even saving their lives. All because she could sing Cantonese opera. I mean, her story is like a family legend. It's something that we talk a lot about. It's something that's like very ingrained in our family culture when we talk about our, our family and our history. Julia will take it from here. The story begins almost a century ago in Guangzhou, in southern China, where my grandmother grew up. My grandfather had the means to send his daughters to school, and he did. But my mother always said he wasn't much of a family man. Uh, and you had to pay school tuition to go to school. This is my mum, Bernice Hewn, talking about her mother, my grandmother. One day the um, schoolmaster or something said that the fees weren't paid up, and uh, my mother felt embarrassed by it all, because I think this probably had happened more than once. And so she decided, I'm not going to ask that my father for that again. I'm just going to go to work. And so she went to work in the opera company as a performer. My mum tells me that a member of my grandma's household already performed in the opera. This is my Aunt Shirley, my grandma's eldest daughter. Your great-grandfather had tea houses where people would uh, go and sing Cantonese opera. So she hung out at these tea houses uh, because that's where her father worked. And uh, some of the women who sang there took her under their wing and said, oh, we will uh, teach you songs and we will dress you up. <laughs> and, uh, and we need someone to pay th play this little servant, you know. And so she just kind of hung around on the wings 
and followed people around and was then kind of tutored and trained. The 1930s were supposedly the heyday of Cantonese opera, particularly in Guangzhou. It was an incredibly popular art form. It incorporated music, dancing, acrobatics, and these really ornate costumes. Aside from providing my grandma with income, it also gave her literacy, which she craved. She was not able to go to school past the third grade, but she learned how to read Cantonese characters by memorizing opera scores. Cantonese opera also ended up providing her with an opportunity that would change her life and the lives of the rest of my family forever. She was invited to join a troupe organized by the Chinese-Canadian Freemasons to tour Canada. They would be performing in Chinatowns across the country. This is my aunt again. The first time they came and asked if mom and maybe a couple of friends would come to Canada, my grandmother, which is your great-mother, said, no, you're too young. But the next year when they came back, her mother had changed her mind because she had a new concern. This is my mom. The Japanese were invading China, and her mother said to her, if you have an opportunity to tour again, you must take it. This is an opportunity for, for you to leave the country. It was 1938. Japan and China were at war. The conflict had started a year earlier. The opera tour was her ticket to safety. So she said yes to her spot in the company, signing up for the next year. My grandma was only 19 years old. This part of the story has always struck me. I picture what I was doing at that age. I remember feeling homesick moving from Toronto to Montreal. I can't imagine going on such a long journey to such a distant and unfamiliar destination. I think about how terrifying it must have been. And the story was that when they were saying goodbye to each other, they were weeping, they were crying, and we never might see each other again, and all this, uh, because who knew at that time? It was a three-weeks journey to cross the Pacific in those days. You didn't easily say goodbye to people, expect to see them so readily. So that's how they parted. So on September 23rd, 1938, my grandmother left China via Hong Kong. I only found out recently how close she came to not getting out at all. A month after she left, her city, Guangzhou, fell to Japan. She could have been on one of the last boats out. My grandmother sailed across the ocean on the famous Empress of Russia to what her community calls Gamsan, Gold Mountain, to what is known to many indigenous people as Turtle Island, to what European settlers call Canada. Casey here. Coming up, Gayin and her troop arrive in Canada, where they have more big decisions to make. Also, in a second, Julia is going to describe a photo you can see it on our Instagram. Follow us. We are at CBC Doc Project. Do you know where this photo was taken? It was taken on the, um, how do we call it, the docks of Vancouver. Okay. But, um, yeah, I, I, you wonder who that is. I love Chinese the image, kid. also because it's like these, like, Four like very beautiful Cantonese women, and then all these sort of 
I'm going through some old photos with my Aunt Shirley. She pauses over a photograph of Gallien arriving in Vancouver with her troupe. This photo has always fascinated me. Four Chinese women looking so triumphant, so bold, beautiful. But don't they look like proud and happy women? Yeah, and they also and just like, look like very brave. Like yeah, Grandma brave, looks very yeah, like, yeah. okay, I'm ready for this. Like yeah, 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 but it's like life is a new adventure. Yeah. And uh, we're going to make something of this. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's like, we're, here we are, we're here landing. We are. Yeah, and, I know, I know. So, yeah. And I think of like the like, tremendous amount of like courage that would take mm-hmm. as a teenage. Yeah, that's very special, yeah. This group of bright, proud faces. I wonder if they knew how incredible it was that they even made it into Canada. So when she came, it was during the exclusion years, which was between 1923 and 1947. And so she's come on a sort of, I'm presuming, like a cultural visa of some sort. Well, uh, so exclusion happened in 1923, and then for the next 24 years, officially less than 50 people enter Canada. Let me repeat that. Between 1923 and 1947, only 50 Chinese immigrants were allowed to enter. My grandmother was probably not included in that number. The exclusion my mother is referring to is a law that the Canadian government put in place to ban virtually all Chinese immigration. In 1886, right after the Canadian Pacific Railway was completed, using Chinese labor, the Canadian government introduced the Chinese head tax. It was a hefty fee put on Chinese people entering the country to try to discourage Chinese immigration. It was often a massive debt that a man on low wages would spend years paying off. Then, in 1923, Chinese immigration to Canada was banned outright, with the exception of diplomats, students, and government representatives. It is unclear under which category, if any, my grandmother and her troop fell. But what I do know is that because of these racist laws, families were separated for years. The Chinese community was also uneven, a kind of bachelor society with many more men than women. Only 7% of the Chinese population were women. In Toronto in 1931, there were 1,240 men to only 100 women. So you can imagine the arrival of a group of Chinese women right in the middle of the exclusion period must have been quite the event, to say the least. I always think about like what for grandma, I always wondered if she knew what she was getting into when they said, come to Canada and you can sing in this opera. Like I always wondered like if she knew like what to expect. It takes a lot of courage to leave your own environment to go to a strange country, a language you don't understand, and just hope that, you know, everything would turn out the way you want it to. Mm-hmm. Of course, when you're young, you feel you can do anything. Mm. <laughs> you know, you can conquer the world. Mm. Mm. Can you just introduce yourself? What's your name? <laughs> Who, myself? Yeah, you are Aunt Nora, but also known as Nora. Nora Hum. <laughs> <laughs> Can you say it just one more time? I'm grandmother's best friend. (laughs) She was like a sister to me, and I was like a young sister to her. Yeah, we got along beautifully. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. My Aunt Nora was my grandmother's oldest friend. 
She lives in Montreal, where her father helped host the opera company, when they came to town for the first time in 1939. When they met, Gallien was 20. Nora was just 10 years old. Do you remember seeing her perform ever? In the- oh, yes, yes. We all, you know, she was very um, artistic, you know, in her appearance and her gestures and so forth. But she didn't have a very strong voice for mm. opera, okay. you know. But I think she just liked the idea of being there and being an actress mm. and doing what she liked to do. And that was acting, you know, and singing, mm. you know. So she managed very well, I think. Did Grandma on stage, was she, were there a lot of performers? Like, yeah. Okay. Uh, sometimes she would appear as a solo, okay. you know. But other times, you know, she appears with a group. Mm. It's like a pantomime that they play out. It's like, it's like the operas that they have, you know, in Europe. Mm-hmm. And uh, everybody has a part to play. But in, in a Chinese opera, it's mostly costume and sort of make-believe and that sort of thing, you know. I try to imagine what it must have looked and sounded like. They visited all the major cities across Canada, anywhere there was a Chinatown. My Aunt Nora tells me that they didn't play big opera houses, but community halls, small clubs, vaudeville theatres. They were jam-packed, sometimes standing room only. The whole Chinese community would be there, Whole families, babies, children, chatting, eating snacks, drinking tea. People would come and go for their favorite parts, while the singers kept performing for hours. This was one of the few leisure activities Chinese people had in Canada, in their own language, and a welcoming space. The society was quite uh, segregated, uh, removed at that time. People didn't leave Chinatown because they didn't feel welcome outside of Chinatown. So there there wasn't, um, I think you wanted songs and stories that were familiar to you. Yeah. There wasn't much to do. You could play cards a bit. I mean, they worked long hours at doing things. And I, I think when it, the opera came, you got the money to go. People would gather, be themselves, be boisterous, enjoy stories, music from home. And remember, this was the exclusion era. Chinese people were made to feel that their culture was not to be celebrated, to keep quiet. I imagine my grandmother and her company arriving, how comforting it would have been to see a performance from home. In Cantonese opera, there are a number of archetypes that appear over and over again, regardless of the opera. My mother tells me that my grandmother would have played the Fadan, or Yi Fadan, a young unmarried woman. She might have sounded like this archival recording from the Canadian Museum of History. My impression is that She came here, she sort of knew that she was going to stay. I felt that, you know, she wanted a change in her life. Yeah. She was a loner, but she 
seemed to know what she wanted to do with her life. Maybe she knew that if she got married back in China, she would be only a wife yeah. and mother. And she wouldn't be doing anything. Mm. Mm. But I guess she wanted to see the world, too. Yeah. But after over a year of touring across Canada, it was time for the cast of the show to make a decision. Uh, and I do know that there was a big argument among the performers uh, at, after the tour ended about whether to go back to China or to stay. Okay. And do they have to decide that, like, as a group? Like, or can some of them stay, some of them go? No, they were. it was an individual decision. Okay. Because I heard much later that those that decided to go back were years later sorry for it. We didn't know it at that time, but then China was going to become a communist country. Yeah. I mean, there was a lot of unrest. My grandmother decided to settle in Toronto, where there was a larger Chinatown. She continued to perform and travel. The opera was as popular as ever. I asked both my mom and my aunt how she was allowed to stay in Canada. The exclusion policies were still in place when the tour ended. No one seemed to have a clear answer. But by this time, World War II had started. I imagine in the chaos, no one was keeping track. My grandmother boarded with other families in Toronto's Chinatown. The opera was still her base for community. When she came to Montreal to perform, she would stay with her best friend Nora's family. Nora often jokes about all the dates my grandmother went on in the city of so-called bachelors. I remember her taking me out to lunch with her where she was meeting with some men from these clubs. <laughs> okay. They don't have women going down to Chinatown or socializing very much in those days. And she herself wanted me to be more or less like a, a friend or um, a buffer. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> how, how old are you? are you? I think I was only about 10 or 11 <laughs> okay. or something, you know. So I went with her, and uh, they were all men, except for her and myself. Mm. It was a table of about 10 or 12 people. And uh, afterwards, she thanked everybody, and, you know, and I didn't understand what it was all about, really. But it was later that I realized that she wanted a chaperone. To not be alone with all of them. <laughs> exactly, with all those men. My grandmother ended up meeting and marrying a Canadian-born Chinese man in Toronto, my grandfather, Don Hyun. He was born and raised in Vancouver, but had lived in China as a young man. So he had two major attributes. This is my mum. Well, first of all, my father was uh, a good-looking man, but more than that, he had spent um, several years in China, and it made him completely bilingual. The... Um, he was literate in Chinese and English, and I think, I think that appealed to my, my mother, who, well, she needed someone who could, uh, she could have long conversations with in Chinese, but also who could maneuver in the outside world. They married, they started a family, and in the early years, my grandmother still performed. And so I saw her perform the opera 
a few times up to about the age of 10. And then she wasn't my mother. She was someone else on stage. And uh, my younger brother was really impressed when my mother would whirl across the room, throw a sword up in the air, and bounce it off her extended foot and pick it up again. But I love the ribbon dance. That ribbon dance, you see, she could do that and fly across the room with it. My Aunt Shirley also remembers seeing her mom perform. I would be backstage, I'd be four or five or something, and there was one scene where she was being chased. Okay. You know, she was running around like a maid, being, being either she was being like swatted at by somebody, might have even been the leading lady who was then beating the maid for not, you know, behaving properly, yeah. or you know, you bad girl, etc. So, or it was, a, or a man was chasing. I don't know. I just remember crying. Uh, <laughs> I was worried about That's crying. I would say something like. You're beating my mom! I said in Chinese, and I'm going like this. Because I remember Grandma coming into the wings and just hugging me. And she says, it's just a story. You know, you know, we're just making it up. It's just a story. And I just remember that as a kid, you know. Yeah, yeah you're just making it. It's not real. Nobody's beating me. But. By the time she had four kids, my grandma only performed on special occasions. But she held on to something from those years on the stage, something that has also become part of family legend. We lived at 66 Elm Street, and so when Mom and Dad got married, uh, your grandparents, they rented one of the floors there. And then mm. one day, um, your grandpa that came home and said, oh, the landlord is going to sell this house. And... Um, he said, I wish I had the money to buy it. Mm. And Grandma says, I have money. <laughs> you know? And it's so, like, all my kids offer money. Yeah, I know. I have money. Okay. All those years while she was performing in the opera, Gayin was squirreling away her salary and trusting it to an elder in the Chinese community for safekeeping. And so she, and this, she helped all of it, part of it, down payment. Mm. They bought that building. So that that was kind of the way that started. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's pretty like I think about it, like it's amazing. The Cantonese that, opera and like provided yeah. this house. Thanks to my grandmother, my grandparents and their young family thrived in Chinatown, and a house they owned. This was a big deal. Owning a house on Elm Street gave them security at a time when many landlords wouldn't rent to Chinese people. And all of this changed not only her life, but the course of our entire family. This is my aunt again. If she had not acquired the skills for a Cantonese opera, mm. I mean, think about it. How could you leave China at that time when there were exclusion acts? So how did she, that was, the, and I more thought about it, and I said, she had that skill that she had, and she then you, it was her ticket out. And because of that, and then because she married um, your grandfather, we she formed a family yeah. in the. But also, she was able to then sponsor her mother, grand, her grandmother, yeah. who said, "We're all going to die." My grandmother's city was bombed during the war with Japan. She helped by sending home money to her family, but she couldn't do much else. 
until 1947, which is when the Exclusion Act was finally lifted. And so actually, uh, Grandma saved her entire family. Because then she brought Grandma, uh, Papa, and then she later brought her sister, who was older. She really worked at bringing her family, and then she worked at bringing her younger, uh, Kelf, brother, her younger too, brother and yeah. all his children. And, but it, it's really the, uh, she was the first foothold. Yeah, in and, was and also to, to be like an 18 year old woman being the first yes, yeah, it's very yeah. unique like you, it's you very unique often hear stories of like a man came he worked hard he brought his wife yeah he, yeah yeah it's very rare to hear like a woman came she worked hard and then she, she brought, bought a house and then she brought her whole family yeah. like it feels it's, unique. it's different but yeah. also the the key was the cantonese opera yeah Guyan has had a big impact on my family especially the women my mother, Bernice Hune, became an artist and storyteller, and she tells the story of Chinese-Canadian women in her art. My Aunt Shirley became a professor of Asian-American history. I'm also a community-engaged artist and teacher. Education was very important to my grandmother. Partly, I think, because it was denied to her in China. Guyan made sure to leave money to help me with my tuition, and my aunt has recently established a scholarship in my grandparents' name at the University of Toronto. And to think so much of this is thanks to Cantonese opera. I grew up just a short streetcar ride away from my grandmother. I remember sleeping in her condo and waking up to her singing along to these old recordings. Sadly, I never saw her perform on stage. My grandmother passed away just before I went to university. She was 83. But even in her old age, she was still so social. She would often rush off to MC events at the local Cantonese opera societies. She kept this world separate from her family, a place just for her, to be with her opera community. I really wanted a glimpse of this other world my grandmother was part of. So one day last year, I walked down to Dundas, up the stairs of a Chinatown building I'd passed a million times. I found myself in the Chinese United Dramatic Society. Founded in 1933, it is one of the last Cantonese opera societies still operating in Toronto's Chinatown. My grandmother spent a lot of time here. The room was full of seniors, with this full band singing Cantonese opera standards. A room buzzing with energy, tea being passed around, loud conversations. This really ancient drummer was yelling at the singers to keep up with the tempo. It felt foreign to me, but also really familiar. It was the closest I'd felt to this opera life my grandmother lived. This life that's so full of music and energy, community, people laughing, yelling, making art together an art form that allowed my family to make a life in Canada. That story was produced by Julia Hewn-Brown and Allison Cook. It was edited by Julia Poggle. We have the photos that Julia and her Aunt Shirley were looking through early on in today's story. We have these amazing shots of Guy Yin as a young woman and with her touring troupe on stage... You can find those at cbc.ca slash docproject. That's all for us this week. 
you enjoyed today's episode, please take a minute to rate and review us. Or better yet, share us with a friend. The Doc Project is produced by Allison Cook, Julia Poggle, and me. Althea Manassin is our digital producer this week with Sarah Clayton. Our senior producer is Jennifer Warren. I'm Macy Rowe. Thanks for listening. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.